everybody. Welcome back to The Smattering, where we ask the important questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall. I'm joined by the voice of the people, and he who is wearing a wonderful t-shirt today, Jeff Santoro. Hey, Jeff. Hey. Yeah, it's always good to start the podcast uh, with a visual. Yeah. That's, that's the, right, hey. the right first step. Well, I mean, I have a face for radio, so, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I roll. We got, a, we got a fun episode planned today, and thanks to all of our listeners and our followers on Twitter and via our Gmail who got us questions. This is our first mailbag in over a month, Jeff. So we got a lot of really good stuff in. You want to share with the folks out there who might not know how to get in touch with us, how to share things with us, how they can do that? Yeah, real quick. Here's the housekeeping, everyone. We're on Twitter at Smattering Show. We have an email address, thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel. You can just search for The Smattering. Um, and we really appreciate it if you could rate and review and share the show on your podcast app. That would be awesome. That helps other people find it. And we really appreciate it. Um, and the follow is helpful for when we do things like the mailbag. We, we asked a couple days ago. We got a whole bunch of responses. So it's been really great. All right. Before we dive into our first question, Jason... I want to encourage everyone to uh, stick around for the end of our uh, episode here today because we have an exciting announcement. Uh, we're going to have a little ad break in the middle, and then we're going to talk about a, a really cool thing we're going to be uh, revealing at the end of the month, and we want uh, we everyone need listeners to check involved. Out. You have to stay. That's right. It is, it is listener-involved fun for everyone, so uh, stick around for that. All right. So uh, frequent question asker, Colin, and I think uh, we can Twitter. start calling Col- um, Colin friend of the show. Friend of the show. Yeah. Friend of the show, Colin, has uh, asked us the following question. He wants us each to name a company, um, for good or bad, that in our opinion the market has wrong and also one that the market has right. So this is a good one. We, 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 we thought about this before we hit record. I think we each have a good answer here. Why don't you do yours first, Jason? Yeah, I'll do my, I'll do my wrong first. And I'm going I'm to go with Zoom. Okay, I'm going to go with Zoom Video Communications Ticker ZM, and this 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 is a stock that is. I mean, it's down bad, right? This stock is down how much over the past year? Is it down sixty five percent over the past year? But if we go back, I mean, this this is a stock that peaked, I believe, in twenty twenty, right? When we started reopening, like in mid late twenty twenty, when it started to be less virtual, and like some stores started to open, and restaurants started to set up on sidewalks and that kind of stuff. I think that was when Zoom stock peaked. Jeff, it's down 88% since then. 88%. Yeah, they, the market clearly thinks that Zoom is all simply us using Zoom to communicate casually. And I don't think they really have priced in what at least Zoom's trying to do on the enterprise side of things. Yeah, I think that's right. That's the, I mean, the reality is Zoom was never made for Zoom cocktail hours, right? It's we adapted and, and, and we used the tools that were available and it was the one that was available. And, and let me say this too. Do I think that the market had it right at that 2020 peak? Probably not. But and if, as in investors, when we're looking at stocks, we have to objectively look at a business and say, do we like the business? And if the answer to that is yes, do we like the stock right now, right? You have to separate the business from the stock. And here's what I see when I look at Zoom. I look at a business that did pull forward a lot of business, a ton of business. And as the enterprise has shifted from a find a vendor, sign a contract, get it in, get it up and running tomorrow, 
um, kind of MO to back to a normal cycle where you put out your, you know, RFPs, you have vendors that bid, you do your dog and pony shows, you try things out, you, you negotiate, and then you move forward, right? Um, that normal sell cycle, growth has slowed and actually kind of gone backwards a little bit. But Zoom, I think, has adapted pretty well. And while it has adapted and its growth rate has kind of normalized and come down, I think the pendulum has swung so far the other direction that Zoom, this cash cow, very cash positive, very profitable high margin company, has kind of gotten looped in with a lot, all of the other SaaS, um, enterprise software, high growth cash burn businesses. And it still continues to be discounted. So to kind of support my thesis on Zoom, I just compared it to a couple of real stalwarts out there. One that it really doesn't compete with in any way and it kind of relies on. And another that really is its biggest competition. So the first one, um, I compared it to, to Apple, right? And the reason I wanted to use Apple is Apple is this stalwart, again, cash cow business that people love. And it's moved back into, if not a premium valuation, I think it trades for a relatively fair valuation for the quality of the business and its likely ability to grow cash flows, at least at a modest amount going forward. Um, Apple trades for about 21 times free cash flow, a little less than 21 times free cash flow, and about 19 times operating cash per share, okay? So that's, that's excuse me, um, yeah, ni- about a ni- little bit less than 19 times. Now, its biggest competitor um, is Microsoft, okay? Because you think about what Microsoft's trying to do with the enterprise. They want a full suite of communications, all of the tools, right? Right. They have their, their Teams product, yes. which is the direct competitor to Zoom. Yeah, and I don't think there's any arguing that it is certainly the biggest threat, competitive threat um, to, to Zoom. And, but along with, 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 with that, you get everything else that Microsoft does for the enterprise, everything that it does for consumers. You think about this gaming business that they're growing, um, you know, the Xbox business trying to buy Activision Blizzard to make this giant recurring revenue platform for, for subscription for gaming, right? So all of these different things that Microsoft does really, really, really well. Um, Microsoft trades for 29 times free cash flow and about 21 times operating cash flow per share. Zoom trades for 18 times free cash flow and less than 17 times operating cash flow per share. So it's cheaper than both of those two much larger, much more stable businesses that I have a lot of trouble believing are going to be able to grow over the next five or 10 years um, at a faster rate than I think Zoom will. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems that it's discounted to this point that the market's just kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, I think Zoom has to prove that the other moves they're making in the enterprise space, like Zoom phone and Zoom rooms and the the call center that they're developing. And, you know, they're, they're even kind of stepping into, they have a, a very basic chat function built in that, you know, I, I heard one, um, I read one article where they're trying to turn that into something a little bit akin to Slack. Um, and that's all, it's going to be mostly enterprise. So it's going to be out of the 
sort of realm of what the individual investor might know that they're doing. And that's always what becomes difficult with like business to business sort of companies. So they have to prove that they can do all those things, but it's been beaten down so much that, and there's already been some traction on things like Zoom phone, that it's hard not to think the market's got it wrong, or at least is pessimistic about it overall. All right. What's your, what's your got it wrong stock? All right. My got it wrong stock is Airbnb. Um, and All right. I, so see, I see you people out there rolling your eyes. I love this this one, Jeff. I love this one. So I, I track it pretty closely. I own it. I keep, I, you know, every time they have earnings, I kind of look at how it's going. And, you know, they're down 45% on the year. But the progress they've made, I think, over the past couple quarters is is pretty impressive. So, you know, their revenue grew this past quarter uh, 29%. And that that doesn't blow your socks off, but you have to remember that's on top of a 67% year-over-year growth in the year-ago quarter. But the three quarters before it, 58%, 70%, 79%. Um, you know, but also, uh, you know, their cash flow positive as well. You know, mul- multiple quarters in a row of, you know, 960 million in free cash flow, 800, 12, uh, 1.2 billion two quarters ago. Um, and all of their customer metrics, all their user metrics are heading in the right direction too. Nights and experiences grow you know, 20, 20, 30, 40, 50% each quarter, gross booking values going up. Um, they're just kind of like every metric you'd want to look for is heading in the right direction, yet the market hasn't really seemed to acknowledge that yet. You're pricing in too much risk, or I don't know what it is. So to me, that's one that I think is still mispriced in the market and, you know, one that I think they have wrong right now. Jeff, do you want to know the important signal to me? That that you're right that you're right and the market has it wrong about Airbnb. They they have acknowledged that it's bullshit their pricing model when it comes to the way they show the pricing on their website and their app. Yep. And then you log in and you find out that they also want this cleaning fee. And then you show up at the house and there's like a seven page list of all the shit that the owner expects you to do. Their CEO has said that that's not acceptable. Right. If we're going to compete. With everything out there in the you know short term or, or extended stay, it has to be a seamless experience, and this is not acceptable. And and that's yeah says, they've they've done a they've done a really nice job um, of generally taking user feedback, yeah. both from hosts and from guests, and acting on it. Like another one that comes to mind is the um, I forget what it's called, but it's essentially like the insurance that they've built in in case you have a bad stay or you have right. bad guests in your home, right? right? So those are those are two of the biggest complaints. If you sort of like Google search like complaints about Airbnb, it's you know surprise pricing and you know oh my house got destroyed or I showed up and it wasn't what was in the pictures, you know those kinds of things. So they're responsive to that, you know, and they're still growing, you know, like a weed. Are you ready for my the market has it right one? Yeah. What do I have right? So this is one that's very far down. I've talked about it on this show. I'm kind of pouring some salt in my own wounds here. Um, and that's TPI Composites, ticker TPIC. I have talked ad nauseum about the, the company nearly defaulting on its loans about a year ago, me getting overly exuberant about the industry and their spot in it, and ignoring the real problems with the business, buying a lot more, watching the stock absolutely get crushed. This is a stock that's down about 85%. You and I were having a conversation about this stock in the past two weeks. I was thinking about cutting my position in half, reducing my exposure, 
reinvest in that capital and other great ideas I have, proven winners, and let them figure out their business. And, and I decided not to, right? And then what did they just announce? Major restructuring. I think they're shuttering some of their Chinese manufacturing. They're laying off a bunch of, of, of staff. They're, they're, they're having to fix a broken business. And the market, a year ago, the market, when they slashed the, the price, when they almost defaulted on their loan and they had to take out basically the payday loan to, to bridge their, their gap to keep from defaulting and going bankrupt, the market got it right back then. And I think they're getting it right now that this is a, one of those prove-it situations. It's a very cyclical industry. You have to be really good as a capital allocator. And they have, been, they have not proven to be able to capital allocate worth a damn over the past three years, really. And here we are. So the market's got that one right. Jeff, what, what's, what you got? So the one that I think the market has right, and for similar reasons, it has it right in the direction of being down, and that's Asana. Um, Asana is a, like a workplace management software um, has some competitors, monday.com. It's founders, um, the, uh, co, uh, co, uh, Facebook co-founder, Facebook co-founder. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you know, the, I can boil down every single quarter into the exact same thing. Cause it's like, it's like groundhog day, incredible growth, both on the top line and with users and a consistent cash burn and march away towards profitability. And every quarter I say to myself, I don't own it, but I say to myself, you know, if I were a shareholder, I don't know how much longer I can just, you know, hang on to the consistent growth and wait for the profitability to happen. And every quarter I'm disappointed that it's not even starting to trend in the other direction. I mean, if you look at a chart, everything with revenue is up and to the right, everything with profitability is down and to the right. Um, and you know, the 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 markets, you know, has it down 82% on the year. And I think that that's absolutely Correct, and until they can show um, that they can be, you know, at least take progress towards being profitable, or at least pro- uh, progress towards generating any kind of cash, um, I think the market's got it right. Keep you know crushing it. Yeah, something um, our friend Tyler Crow talked some of the words Tyler used, and I think Jim Gillies used it too. And that's you want to see it's, it being directionally correct, right? Yeah, and and that's not the case with Asana, right? Asana went public to raise, you know, Duska Moskovitz kicked in a bunch of money, right? He's, you know, the, the co-founders, um, but you know, I mean, it went, we know it went public to raise capital to do this, and there's this little bit of an expectation of cash burn to get to scale, but directionally, it it's not following revenues. We're not seeing improvements in those things, like you're saying. So I'm I'm with you, and the reason I wanted to mention that, Jeff, and emphasize it, is I think this is a really healthy. Colin, this is a really healthy like thought exercise to do with every stock in your portfolio to keep you from those those cognitive biases like price anchoring at the price that you might have bought it for or whatever the peak price we saw a year ago was. And assuming all you have to do is buy that same stock now and it's eventually going to get back to that price. Hey Jeff, our, our next question here, I think it may be the most notable one because it is clear evidence that the smattering is becoming a global media empire, right? Absolutely. Global media empire is the first thing that comes to mind when I think about our podcast, for sure. It should. It should. And I mean, we have uh, Hockley on Twitter, sent us a DM, says, I'm a big fan from Japan. I have a question for Jeff. Jeff, you talk about that you constantly buy every week. Hockley wants to know, how do you decide which stocks to buy 
every week. So without getting into like an incredible amount of detail that we're bo- that will bore everyone, it's essentially this. I have I keep a lot of information on the um, valuation at which I I make purchases for every company that I buy, um, and I calculate like on a weighted basis whether or not the current valuation that day is higher or lower than the average valuation I bought that stock for, and I try to buy stocks that are below that average when I can. So it's it's a combination of conviction, companies that I have a lot of conviction in, I kind of take that list and narrow it down by, can I possibly buy a company I have high conviction in at a better valuation than I have on average in the past? Now, it doesn't always mean Sometimes that means I'm buying it at a higher price. And what I like about thinking through it that way is it helps me not price anchor, right? It helps me not say to myself, oh, I can't, I can't pay more for this because it could be on a dollar basis, you know, the price for the share could be higher, but it actually could be a better valuation because they've grown, you know, the revenues a lot or, you know, whatever, whatever. So um, that's in a really quick explanation what I do. But I just want to say one more thing about it. It's a framework, not a rule. So there are times when there are other reasons, like if if I think the stock has been unfairly hammered after an earnings report that I thought was better than it really than the market thought it was, I will sometimes kind of veer from that. But since I'm doing it on a weekly basis, I do need some sort of structure and sort of framework so that I'm not spending three and a half hours every week making some decision. Um but that's basically it. Try to buy things at better valuations. Jeff, I, I like that because, you know, again, framework versus rule. A rule tells you what to do, and the framework informs how you should think about it, right? So I really appreciate that you um, – I, I like your process. I really do, and I think it's useful. All right. So next question from CM on Twitter. There's actually three questions, so we'll, we'll go one at a time. Um, looking to 2023 – which three sectors could drive the strongest return for shareholders? So what do you think about that, Jason? This is tough. Um, the energy sector has crushed it this year, uh, up 53%. And again, that's just oil and gas stocks. It doesn't include any of the renewable energy stuff at all. It's only oil and gas. And then every other sector is down, even utilities, right? Now, this is... This is on a, on a uh, price basis. This isn't, this isn't total return, so it doesn't include dividends paid by those sector stocks. And this is just S&P 500 components, right? So that's important. All that to say, it's, I mean, there's so many factors that are going to go into that, right? What happens with the economy? What happens with interest rates? Like we're in this weird place right now, Jeff, where when we get good macro news, like, hey, China is going to open up. They're going to back off their zero COVID policy the market falls because the telegraph is China's economy is going to kick up more. Their manufacturing is going to kick up more. It's going to stimulate economic activity, and that means more inflation. And the Fed's going to raise interest rates even more for a protracted period. So the market freaks out on good news, right? Which tells me I don't know what the hell to think about, about the next year. So I'm going to answer the question I want to answer, not the question that CM asked. And I'm going to say I'm looking at the areas of investment that I think have the biggest tailwinds for the next decade, right? And to me, yeah, that's – go ahead. Go ahead. No, I agree. I was going to say this, something similar. I, I don't think in sectors very often. Um, 
But one thing I do wonder, you know, kind of piggybacking on a question we answered in the last mailbag of of what what is it worth running towards while everyone else is running away from? Yeah. And I can't help but think, and I don't know if 2023 is going to be that year because we could still be in for more pain in this sector, but the tech sector has been so crushed over the past year and a half that you could make the argument that assuming the market just writ large has a better year in 23, you could make the argument that the tech sector could have a good year because so much of that froth has been you know, beaten down by the last year, year and a half. So there's a lot of, if you look at the sectors, there's a lot of companies we think of as tech companies that are considered telecom too. And the telecom sector is the worst performing. It's down almost 37% on the year. That's companies like Meta, right? Facebook is, is considered a telecom company. So I think you're, I think you're right. Um, so I'm going to give, I'm going to give an area, a, a, a sector that I think is really compelling for the next for the rest of the year and i'm going to say real estate and it's a combination of things i think some home builders and reits um equity reits companies that actually own real estate not that own the debt um because i think they're so beaten down largely because of interest rate pressure concerns about retail and then of course the housing bubble we're in a housing decline right now we are right so i think by the end of the year a lot of that will have been worked through and the structural problems with housing that are very real will be apparent, and the market will see that opportunity for home builders. And then REITs, valuations, I think, will just normalize as we see more economic clarity with like the companies that own like retail properties and things like that. Um, and interest rates, we're going to get to some sort of a normalization on that. And since dividends yields a big part of owning REITs, again, I think we'll just have more clarity, and we're going to come through this uncertain period um, and that's a really one, one that I think is really compelling, not just over the next year, but long term. I think I think over the next decade, there's just so much to like there. What about you? You willing to stake your claim? Well, on I mean, one? I, the software. You said software. I say yeah. I would say tech, and then just I, I mean, I've said this before. It's not an, a new thought by me, but if I was going to pick like a, a subsector of a, a sector, I would say you know I still I'm still pretty bullish on cybersecurity. Um, it, it's a it's a part of the tech sector that's been crushed just like everything else. But in my mind, it's pretty recession resilient, if not recession proof. Um, and you know, some of the leaders in that space are just, again, if you just looked at the numbers, you'd be blown away at how, how well they're doing yet. They're getting dragged down with everything else. So that would be what I would say if I had to pick one. Yeah. All right. Let's let, I think that's good. We'll take a second, his second question. Yeah. Let's hop on to the second one. Um, I think this is interesting. I'll, I'll take a crack at this first, and then I want to see what you think. Um, if you invested two thousand dollars in Latch, which is a, um, a a very small company that does, um, it was a large company that was become a small. Company. That was a large company that is now a small it's, company. It's a penny stock now. They've got, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so if you invested two thousand dollars in Latch, and your current balance is now two hundred, so you've taken a pretty big bath on this. Um, does it make sense to sell and reinvest that money with another stock or hold? So the first thing I thought reading that was, it completely depends on your individual circumstances. Um, and here's what I mean by that. Um, if your entire portfolio is $10,000 and that you've taken that loss on that big of a percentage of your portfolio, that's a completely different question and answer than if you have a million dollar portfolio um, and you've, you've put in 10000 that's now down to two hundred. dollars um, 
to me, the way I would think about it is, um, well, there's two ways to think about it. I don't know which is better. One is cut, you know, cut your losses, get out before it gets worse, whatever, however you want to phrase it, pull your weed, what are your flowers, take that money, reinvest it in something you have higher conviction in. The other way to look at it is if you still have any sort of faith in the business, so it comes back to the business, and you have a long time horizon, and it's not a material piece of your portfolio, there's no reason you couldn't just sort of ignore it for a decade or two and you know see if it can get its feet out from under you know get get its feet under it and, and go on a little bit of a run um you know there's plenty of stories about big companies now that had really rough patches when they were small companies doesn't mean latch is going to be one of those um but i hate to dodge the question but there without having a little bit more information um it's kind of hard to answer because it really depends on not only your individual circumstances in terms of portfolio size but also your time horizon yeah, I think as a starting point, that's kind of, you hit on something the key right there is number one, do you think Latch can get their shit together? Um, it's 76 cents a share right now for a reason. The They have grossly mismanaged the business. I don't think that's a terrible way to put it. Went public, I think they went public via a SPAC. The key though is when it went public to raise capital. And through the SPAC kind of mania, um, the, it was an easier way to go public with less scrutiny, right? And this is a company that has a product, the door handles, right? And a service attached to it, the service to be able to control the entry and that kind of thing. And they target commercial real estate businesses. It's a great business and they have a great niche, but they just did a terrible, good, terrible job of managing their capital, right? They've had some serious issues, some some disclosure issues, I believe. Um, it's, I think it's a, it's an interesting business, but it's, I think it's a broken company to a large extent. If you believe there's still a better, and I think you almost have to say 50, 50 at this point, do you think there's a 50, 50 chance that these guys survive as a going concern? Then you leave it alone. I wouldn't personally. I don't think that's the case. I think it's going to get bought for, for, um, off the scrap heap, maybe at a little bit of a um, premium to the current price, but they're burning so much cash and they're in such a mess. The buzzards are they're, they're not they're not swooping in now. Why? They can just be patient and wait for the business to run out of money and and be bought for you know broken up for the spare parts. So, does it make sense to sell and reinvest that two hundred bucks? Here's the thing, right? I mean, you turn two thousand into two hundred, you can turn two hundred into two thousand. You're not necessarily going to do it in the in the year that it took you to lose that eighty percent or that ninety percent, but it can be, eventually become a useful amount of money again over ten or twenty or thirty years. Jeff and I talked about it on another episode that we trimmed our weeds. Right, we both sold off a number of positions and CM again. Not direct advice to you, but anybody that's looking through your portfolio and you see lots of those kind of latch situation stocks that have come down a lot, you just have to reevaluate your conviction in the business. And if you don't have that conviction, trim the weeds and, and, and reinvest the capital. Even if it's not something you think can 10x, you just think that it has a reasonably good chance of helping you make money. That's like Tyler was talking about on our last episode. Know your financial goals and and set the right set the right goals right. Don't necessarily have to try to 
beat the market every stock you buy, find stocks that are going to help you make money, right? And then in aggregate, you're going to reach your, your goals. So, Yeah, and, and I looked it up while you were talking. It, it did come public via SPAC. And I think just a quick word of caution on SPACs generally, um, a lot of companies that would never have become public companies as early as they did, did so because of the SPAC mania that we saw in 2020 and 2021. Doesn't mean that they all can't or some of them can't become great investments moving forward. But I do think that that increases the level of scrutiny on a company that has had the the mismanagement that, that you just talked about, Jason, because they were able to come public, like you said, without that scrutiny. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I like I like CM's third question here. So today, and by the way, we're recording this on December 7th, for whatever that's worth to anybody. It's after the market's closed. Um, today, which three stocks could 10x in seven to 10 years? Jeff, you want to round robin this? We'll just go back and forth. Oh, I didn't, I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. Um, I thought you, I thought you prepped one. for this. No, I don't prep for anything we do. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> All right. I got, I got one. I got one here. TPI compa- I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's the thing. Actually, the I want to be I want to be abundantly clear. TPI Composites market cap is around four hundred million dollars right now. I just said it on this episode. I think the market has it right. They're valuing the business appropriately based on the risk, based on the mismanagement, based on the challenges with the business itself. But I look at the market that it operates in, the tailwinds behind renewables driving wind turbines. That's kind of its core business, making the blades, right? And electric vehicles, it's, these guys are experts in, in composites. They're starting to make um, drivetrains or the, the, the vehicles, the bodies uh, for a lot of EVs. Um, those are enormous industries, right? Many, many multiple tens of billions of dollars in market opportunity. If they can get it together, this could easily be a $5 billion business. I just think that they have a lot to prove before it's worth risking any more capital. I want to be clear on that part. Yeah. I, um, all right. I, I have one that I stole from you because you're the one that sort of, I've owned it, but you're the one that sort of got me looking at it again. And it's, um, it's Redfin, the real estate company. Um, they, they, for a company that's been around as long as it has, and has been slowly, but continually kind of gaining share in that space, the fact that they're down to a $500, $550 million market cap just seems incredible to me. Um, I think you know, even one of the taking that thinking, and adding the $1.2 billion in convertible debt and that, yeah. that enterprise value of just, uh, like, and it doesn't include cash and all those other things, but like looking at those two things as like the potential equity value, to me, it's less than $2 billion. I think it's, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, because what I was going to say generally when I was kind of thinking about specific stocks is the first place I go, if you say 10 X, the first place I go is small cap, right? Right. It's the easiest you, place you, to find multi-bagger stocks. Yeah. So when I look through, you know, the, the stocks in my portfolio that are, that I own that are smaller, um, you know, I, that's one of them and it, we've talked about it recently. So it's on my mind. So that's one I would say right off the bat. I mean, they, now that they're out of their eye buying business, um, you know, and kind of refocusing on their core business, which is, you know, Basically, using their own agents as employees rather than you know full commission real estate brokers like you see everywhere else, um, 
you know, I that small of a market cap with that sort of potential and 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 the industry, the growth that's in the industry. I mean, they have to get through the current downturn in the in the real estate market, but you know, seven to ten years from now, you you tell me they can't get to five billion, like that that seems to me achievable. All right, I got another one here. Go ahead, Boston Omaha. Oh, I was going to go there. And I'm, I'm gonna, I love I'm Boston gonna, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to say ten is probably optimistic. I would say more like ten to fifteen years. Again, less than a billion dollar market cap. And this is like the perfect example of what like an ideal compounder can look like. You've got two young, talented co-founder, co-CEOs, so that like that team of like having somebody like a partner, I think there's so much value for the way they're building this business, which is heavy outside capital allocation, right? Lot, they're going to make lots of acquisitions. They've basically built the business that way. They buy these cash flowing businesses that produce steady recurring cash flows, and then they reinvest that cash flow, right? And now they've started like an asset management thing where they can get a two and 20 and they can compound that growth because they bring in external capital that they manage. Um, but this isn't like a 50, 60% a year revenue growth kind of business. I think as a compounder though, I think 10 to 15 years, um, there's a decent chance that, that, that these folks can, can generate, uh, 10x returns. Yeah. And I know that's three, but I'm going to give a fourth because there's another one that I, I really am a big fan of. And it's, I'm trying to look up the market cap right now. All right. So $1 billion market cap. So not as small as we were talking about, but I'm really a big fan of Outset Medical. Um, so for those who don't know, they, they're they a de- medical device company that has a, a product called Tableau, which is like a mini fridge-sized dialysis machine that you can use in an acute healthcare setting or in your home. And that's kind um, of the game changer. Well, the, both are game changers, right? Because in your both home are game changers. is a big deal. But right. in acute centers, because reduces the – you don't have to necessarily have a physician that's part of it, right? That's like the big deal there. Right. Yeah, it's – it's it's easy enough to use as a as a as a patient right you can learn to use it in your home and a couple of things stick out to me that that really make me excited about it so first of all i don't i don't have the stats in front of me but the the amount of people who need dialysis is stunningly large and that is and it is a it's a disease that does not get better right so once you once you reach late stage kidney failure late late, late stage kidney disease and you need dialysis you're doing dialysis forever and it's multiple times a week and it's several hours each time. So just the idea of being able to do that in your own home is huge. Quality of life, quality of care. Completely changes your life, right? Um, And it's already FDA approved. It's, it's been popular with, with people who um, have used it. They even had a, they had to stop selling it in the home back in the summer for just five or six weeks while they did an extra FDA kind of approval process and people waited for that for that six eight weeks. Like they they either went on another product and then came to Tableau, or they just waited because that's how much they wanted that that device. Mm-hmm. And um, the, they just signed a big contract with the with the VA, so it's going to be in a couple hundred, I think, um, veterans hospitals, and also approved for um, home care for veterans who are VA patients. Um, so, you know, just an enormous market opportunity, an exciting company. It's still in early stages. It's growing pretty strongly. Um, that'd be another one I would throw out there. That's good. I just want to quickly share one that ProShop guy, MF, um, our friend Mike, shared with us. We're going to do a full episode on this one. It's talking about 
for beginning investors, I think this will be broadly for people that have been investing for a while, thinking about percentages towards savings, investing accounts, retirement accounts, stocks versus ETFs, setting expectations, time horizons, all those things. I think this is great. And we're going to do an episode early next year on that one. When I told Mike that on Twitter, he gave us another question. Jeff, how to do a valuation comparison of a company within a sector or what are various valuations for different types of companies? I want to make a quick pass at this. I think this is really important because when you do start looking at different industries, especially thinking about like financial services companies like banks and insurance companies compared to like operating companies like manufacturers and that sort of thing, there are some differences in the ways that you have to start valuing those businesses because of the intangible assets and tangible assets and the way they make money with financing versus from operations. So that, so let's separate that first of all. And, and you have to use industry-specific metrics when you're thinking about those businesses. But I think by and large, with any business in any industry, Jeff, you can use cash flows as a starting point for valuation as a starting point. And then once you kind of understand the cash flow trajectories, then you can start thinking about other metrics like price to sales, price to book, right? So like banks, price to book value can be useful. Um, then you can start using those other metrics to start kind of comparing um, to similars. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much sales a business can do and what its multiple to revenue is, if, we, if you don't understand how profitable that revenue is, right? So I think you always work backwards to cash flows. Operating cash flows is really useful, um, particularly for growing businesses because it can, free cash flow can be a little distorted for companies that are spending more of their operating uh, or, or more, they're spending more on CapEx, right? To fund growth and that kind of thing. To me, it really starts with um, price to operating cash flow, price to free cash flow, and then working backwards from there. Yeah, I don't have much to add other than to say this is an area of investing that I'm very interested in and also sort of not as good at as I'd like to be yet. Jeff, you are the one thing I people. That's true. That is true. I'm not supposed to be good at it yet. Um, But one thing I've noticed is, and I've heard people say this, it's not something, a realization I came to, but it's an art, not a science in a lot of ways. Um, And because, you know, if you think about it, if it were as easy as, Go look at this multiple, you know, do this math on this company versus this company, and and it's guaranteed that it will tell you what's the better valuation or investment. If it were that simple, um, you know, there this wouldn't be a question. Um, I got one and, for you, Jeff. You ready? Yep. It's carpentry, not chemistry. There you go. We should trademark that. And put it on a T-shirt. Coffee yeah, mug. I like that. Well, let's start selling merch. <laughs> we're on that. We're on that. So. <laughs> Jeff, since we're going to start selling merch, that brings up an important topic. We're about to do something different here. We're about to do, we're about to do an ad break because we need money and advertisers will give, us, will give us money. We got more stuff. Stay tuned after the ad break because we have a contest that we're going to be doing and we want our listeners involved. So enjoy this ad, which very well could be. Jeff reading the same ad that you've been hearing since we started this podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back from that scintillating ad break. So this is this is a big deal for us. This is something we're doing for all of 2023. We are going to run a contest. We're hoping to raise a bunch of money for charity. And here's what we're going to do. On December 24th, Merry Christmas, people. Whether you celebrate or not, you're getting a Christmas gift from the smattering. Right. We're going to be revealing the 2023 smattering portfolio. Jeff, can we call it the smatterfolio? I you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> so that's a no. That's a no. Yeah, we should give it a cool name, but we don't have one yet. Port smattering? I don't know. Hey, friends, we, we have to Twitter, work. give us something that's not yeah, terrible. Give us a better name for our portfolio than the smattering portfolio. Jeff, what are we doing? What are we doing? How's how are we going to do this? Cuz there's cuz listeners are going to play a role in picking some of these stocks. All right, so we've been kicking this idea around for a while. We we, wanna, we wanted to put together a portfolio that would just kind of for fun, one that would be fun to keep track of where we make some picks, we review them throughout the year. There's public accountability. Also, public accountability, but also not just picks for pick's sakes. Like We want to talk about the companies, we want to review them, and sort of weave in all of the things we've been talking about since we started the podcast. Like We wanted to put all the toolbox stuff we've been um, talking about into action with real picks that we've made that we can kind of show everyone publicly. So the way we thought through this was, why don't we make it a little bit of a fun contest and have the uh, the winners or, or have the contest result be donations to charity. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to build a 12-stock portfolio, and we're going to split it into four teams, for lack of a better way to put it. One team is going to be you, the listener, and we're going we're gonna to get to that in a second. One team is going to be Jason's Picks. One team is going also to be known my as picks. The, also known as the winning picks. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see. We, we've already discussed a lot of your mistakes on this podcast, so we'll see how this I turns out. those out of the way so we can get to the winners. All right. All right. I like the smack talk. And then the fourth team will be a, a combined, uh, combined picks that Jason and I agree on, right? So out of the 12 stocks, um, three will be audience chosen, three will be Jason's, three will be mine, three will be... Um, ones that Jason and I agree on, and we pick together. The key, um, the key is that the the we want the picks from our listeners first, right? You get the right. first, you get the first round in the in the draft here, right? We're gonna that's we're right. gonna do that. You're gonna Twitter? pick first, yep. Um, and we'll talk about how that how you're gonna pick in a second. But essentially, we're gonna all the prices will be as of the the close of the last market day of 2022 so it'll start in January um, we will do monthly updates on the podcast where we go through the portfolio it'll be publicly available on a shared Google sheet that we'll put out through our social media and on the show notes um, and here's where it gets fun here's where the charity comes in where the yeah the skin um, in the game the skin in the game so each quarter we're gonna see who's who's winning which team is ahead um, and that team will have a chosen charity, and the winning team gets a donation to that charity from both Jason and I. So let me let me talk through it a little bit more. So if the, if if the three stocks that the audience chooses wins a quarter, right, has the best return for that quarter, 
Jason and I will each give $50 to the charity that the audience will choose. If the team smattering portfolio wins, which is the three that Jason and I pick together, we will each give 50 bucks to the audience's charity. So the audience, right? your charity that you guys are going to pick, you get two different portfolios. If it's the best performing that quarter, the audience's charity gets the money. Right. You get two chances to win each quarter. Um, and then here's the fun part. If either my portfolio or Jason's portfolio wins, we each give to the other person's charity, but we have to give the full hundred bucks. So, so what you're saying more, is that when my portfolio dominates, he gives right. his $50 to my charity and he also covers the $50 that I would have given as well. So we'll do this every quarter and then we'll also do it at the end of the year. So it'll be five, five winners, but at the end of the year, we'll do the exact same thing except uh, Jason and I are also going to give 200 for the, for the year-long winner. Right. Right. So not just the Q4 winner, but right. the year-long So four quarterly winners, and then we'll look at the entire year, and we'll give, give there. Now, here's the thing. So we want, we want our listeners to give us stock ideas. We need you to start doing that, right? But we also want you to give us charity ideas as well. So for the charity ideas, if you can, send those to us to our smattering Twitter or to our Gmail. Um, so it's sma- so. How about Jeff? You 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 share what where to send them. I would prefer, folks, if you can send a, the pitch for the for the charities in either a DM or in an email, so they're not listed publicly. Um, so we could kind of vet them that way. Yeah, and you can give us the stock picks any way you'd like. Yep. DM, email, just add us on Twitter, um, send us a carrier pigeon. We don't care. Um, but we're gonna um we're gonna compile the list of, of stock ideas. We're gonna put out a Twitter poll. More about that later. But if essentially you're gonna vote, the top three stocks will become the audience portfolio. For the charities, we're gonna also compile a list, but we're gonna just make a decision on that to pick the audience charity based on what we get. Um and that's basically how it's going to go. Did I forget anything, Jason? One last thing. One last thing. The reason that we picked that $50 amount is we don't want it just to be me and Jeff giving money to charities. We want to encourage all of you out there, especially if you nominate a stock, especially if you're nominating a charity, we want you to participate in this with us too. We think it would be more fun. At this point, this is you know our first year doing this. We don't really have a way to to track that sort of thing. Maybe this is a big success, and next year we can set up some way where people can give through. We can create some sort of entity where they can give through, and we can direct it to charity so we can see in real time how much money we're raising for these charities. But we really want to encourage people. One of the most important things to me about financial success is living up to your responsibility to do good in the world. And Skin of the game is a good way to do that. So I just want to encourage people to do that. Jeff, I'm really excited. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. We'll we'll have more details out in, in future pods, and, and we'll put something together that we can share out. Um, and you know, just to piggyback on what Jason said around the the charity part, you know, we want you guys playing along. So each quarter, whichever charity wins, we're hoping that all of our listeners give whatever they can. You know, fifty bucks or whatever they can afford up to that point or past it um, to also support the charity. And you know, hopefully, we can do some good in the world, have some fun, and I can trounce my podcast co-host. There it is. There it is. I would also like to say that if we have any generous listeners, 
we're also looking for sponsors. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Give, give, give your money to these good charities. Yeah. But checks payable to Jason Hall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, this has been a, this has been a fun show. Uh, again, appreciate all of those great mailbag questions. We're really excited about this contest we're doing, the Smattering Portfolio for 2023. Get those ideas to us. Get out your checkbooks. Be ready to help us support some great charities. Get us your charity ideas. And um, I guess that's the show, Jeff. As always, of course, as you just heard, we love to give our answers to these important investing questions. But friends, it's up to you to find your answers. And with every single episode we do, I become more and more certain you can do it. All right, Jeff. See you next time. See you next time.